scripture lesson this morning is found in the Gospel of John chapter 12, verses 20 through 26. We're not reading to 36. That was a misprint that I didn't catch. Uh, but we're reading verses 20 through 26. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethesda of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. As we continue our journey through Lent, making our way to the cross, we pause in the Gospel of John and read very similar words to what we have read in Matthew and even in Mark. John is counting the days Jesus has left to live. The public ministry of Jesus is drawing to a close and the private ministry of Jesus to his personal disciples is fast approaching. There are four days left before the cross of Calvary takes center stage. The events in verses 20 through 50 of chapter 12 make up the time with four days left in the life of Jesus. Today we come to the last week of Jesus' life once again. It is a Monday, the day after he rode triumphantly into Jerusalem on the borrowed donkey. The pilgrims' excitement about Jesus' presence in Jerusalem was running high. They had greeted him on Sunday with palm branches, a practice that had first been used when Jews celebrated the deliverance of the temple and the city of Jerusalem from the Syrians. Through the years, the palm branch had come to be used on coins and in the temple feast as a reminder of that great victory led by the Maccabeans. So when they waved the palm branches before Jesus, it was a symbolic way of encouraging them, him to conquer Rome. They wanted him, as we've said, to be a military savior. They cried, Hosanna, which meant save us now or deliver us now. But Jesus came riding not on a warrior stallion, but on a donkey in order to symbolize his mission as a man of peace. And so we pick up the story this morning with a strange request. First, let's consider a strange request coming not from a band of Jesus' own people, but from a company of Greeks. These were most likely Gentile proselytes who had come as pilgrims to worship in the temple during the Passover. The scripture sets the stage. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, with their quest. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. We are not certain 
what prompted the Greeks to seek out Jesus. But it is entirely possible that they had been standing in the court of the Gentiles the day before when with fiery indignation Jesus had cleared the court of money changers. And even though these Greeks were proselytes and had embraced the Jewish faith, they were not blind to the bigotry and prejudice of the Jews toward the Gentiles. Thus it is possible that they were inwardly amused as well as outwardly amazed at what Jesus did. These Greeks were among the Passover pilgrims. On the surface, this may have been no more than the request for an interview with one to whom they were attracted because he had cleansed the court of the Gentiles in the temple for their use. John, however, undoubtedly viewed these Greeks as the Gentile mission field in microcosm, now ready to see Jesus as the Savior of the world. But isn't it interesting that these Greeks came with the request, we would like to see Jesus. How many times have we or others stood in the way of people seeing Jesus? By our actions, by our attitudes. How many times have we kept people from seeing Jesus in our lives because of our own selfish desires? Whatever the Greeks' immediate reason for seeking out Jesus, something about him created a hunger within their hearts, driving them to find him and talk with him. They sought out Philip and said, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. Obviously, flustered by the situation, Philip left the Greeks alone until he could confer with someone else. He found Andrew, who suggested that they take the matter to Jesus at once. Appropriately enough, Their petition was directed first to Philip and then through him to Andrew. The two disciples with Greek names who were both from the Hellenistic city of Bethesda. They sought out people who reminded them of themselves, people that they felt they could relate to as they came to Jesus. And so it should be on our mission field. How is it that we can relate to people on their level, who they are, as Jesus did so many times as he encountered people. But in this, we find an amazing revelation. Even though they immediately told Jesus of this enticing opportunity to escape from the frustration and dangers of ministering to the Jews who had already turned on him, there is no hint that the Greeks got to see him at that time. Such silence is deliberate. For the hour had come when Jesus as the Son of Man would be glorified not by adulation of a wider audience but by the loneliness of rejection from his own people. Not only do we encounter a strange request by the Greeks but we are faced with an amazing revelation that Jesus gave to his disciples. John writes in verse 23... Jesus replied to Andrew and Philip, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus must have been deeply moved by this request from the Greeks because he saw in their coming (coughs) the beginning of an innumerable host of Gentiles who would believe in him. The mission was beginning to expand beyond his own people to others who were inquisitive as to who this Jesus was. 
But before they could believe in Jesus with a true understanding of his ministry, the crucifixion and resurrection had to take place. So the truth is that Jesus did not receive the company of Greeks at that time for he was yet a Christ in the flesh who had come first to his own people as king of the Jews. In this role, he was not fully ready to be received by the Gentiles, although certain Gentiles like the Syrophoenician woman and the Roman centurion and others had received him. But before he turned to the Gentiles as a people, the loneliness and rejection of his own people had to occur. He had to be lifted up on the cross and accepted as a sacrifice for sin and not just as a son of David, but savior of the world. Paul understood that when he said to the Philippian church, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. John understood the power of what Jesus would do on the cross for all people, not just Jews. Jesus told Andrew and Philip, the hour has come. By this he meant the time was at hand when the mission would be infinitely expanded. For in just a few days he would die on the cross and be resurrected on the third day, providing once and for all redemption from sin for anyone who believes in him. Jesus continued by illustrating what he meant by this statement. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Remember that the Greeks wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to be introduced to him, to understand him, to discover his mission. But Jesus implied that they could not see him or comprehend his mission, not yet. Why? Jesus knew that at this point these Greeks would see him in only one light as a miracle worker, an appealing teacher, and a potential military leader. They were unable to see him in his role as savior of the world. Even though John the Baptist had pointed out Jesus early in his ministry as the Lamb of God, the one who would take away the sins of the world, they still were not prepared for what Jesus was about to do. But his hour had come. Sometimes in our lives, we have experienced things where the hour has come, haven't we? The birth of a baby. The hour comes, doesn't it? You're waiting in anticipation, and the next thing you know, your wife says to you, it's time. And things change, don't they? Things change a lot. Sometimes when I remember being in college or in high school or whatever, and you remember these as well, when it came time to take a test, you studied and you studied and you studied, but eventually the hour came, didn't it? And you had to be prepared. It's no different here. Jesus was preparing all people for what was to occur at the end of this week. Note the figure of speech Jesus used. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. 
A kernel of wheat is a small husk covering a small piece of grain. A scientist today could tell you everything that is inside that tiny kernel of wheat. But while you look at the grain, you cannot see what is inside. Andrew and Philip could have said, but Lord, we see you. There you stand among us. We agree with Peter. We believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But just as no one can see what is inside a tiny grain of wheat, so they could not see in the fullest sense of the word who Jesus was. So what do we do with the grain? We put it in the ground. And it dies. Disintegrates. But that is not the end of it. Something else happens. We stand aside and presently a tiny blade appears, then the stalk, then the head, and finally the full head of grain. Jesus' message was that no one could truly see him until he died. No one could know who he truly was and is until they die with him. Jesus would not remain alone, however, for his death on the cross would be like a grain of wheat, which because it falls into the earth and dies, thereby bears much fruit. Just as one cannot see wheat by looking at a tiny seed, so the Greeks could not truly see the meaning of Jesus until the world mission of the church had been launched by his death and resurrection. The power and efficacy of his life would not be released until he experienced death, and they had difficulty understanding that. Jesus' life was perfect and sinless, but no one is saved by Jesus' life. He performed many miracles in his daily ministry, but there was no saving power in his ministry. It was simply a demonstration and proof of his deity. It was his death that provided salvation. The company of Greeks could not see Jesus yet. But if they waited a while, they could see him in a way that they could never have seen him before. Jesus many times healed the blind in order to help us to see. Do you remember the blind man that he healed in one of the stories that when he first healed him and he asked him to look out and tell him what he saw, what did he see? He saw men that looked like trees. His vision wasn't clear. And so Jesus told him to look again. And when he looked again, everything was right and normal. Have you ever done that, seen something one way and then looked at it again and seen it in quite another way? Yesterday I did a wedding downtown and there was a man there who looked just like one of my cousins to the point that every time he passed by me, I said, well, there's Daryl. What's he doing here? But then when I looked again, I realized it wasn't him. Sometimes I believe in our walk with Jesus, we need to take a second look. We need to look again. 
These Greeks could have seen Jesus. He could, they could have come into his presence. But what they would have seen would not been all that there was to see. But then Jesus gives us a positive requirement. Jesus had said that one cannot find eternal life until first there is a death, his death on the cross. And following this same theme, he applied the principle to those who would follow him. Here is a matter of spiritual priorities. Many Christians are completely earthbound and their chief concern is with this life, its things and its tangibles. Then Jesus drives his illustration even closer to home. He says, whoever serves me must follow me. Where was Jesus going? He was going to the cross. Remember last week when we shared the verse that said, if you're going to come after me, you must take up your cross and follow me. Here Jesus does not say it that way, but he tells them that he must go and he must die. And he said, if you are going to be one of me, you must follow me. But where beyond that? He would be resurrected in glory and in triumph. The grain of wheat would fall into the ground and die. And through death, life would spring forth and a harvest would result. In summary, what Jesus is saying to us is this. First, he is telling us that true life is released only after a death takes place. While the grain of wheat was preserved in safety and security, it was unfruitful. When it was thrown into the ground, it bore fruit. It was by the death of martyrs that the church grew in the ancient past. As an old saying puts it, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Because they died, the church became the living church. Second, Jesus is saying that only by giving our lives away do we retain life. When Joan of Arc knew that her enemies were strong and that her time was short, she prayed to God, Lord, I shall only last a year. Use me as you can. And finally, Jesus is telling us that only by service comes greatness. At another time, Jesus said, He who is least among you all, he is the greatest. Jesus modeled for us on that walk from Monday to Friday, one who was willing to serve. Jesus not only taught the necessity of his death for a redemptive world mission, but he sought to apply its meaning to the nature of discipleship. To hoard seed is to ruin it, while, it's, while to sow seed is to free it from multiplied usefulness. Just so... One who possessively loves his life will thereby destroy it, while one who hates his life in the world, who is willing to lose it for the sake of others, will thereby gain eternal life which can never be taken away. These are hard words for us. Because we sit back and say, well, I'll never have to do that. Jesus says, you must be willing to do that. 
Jesus is misunderstood. To this day, people misunderstand the glory of Jesus and the cross of Jesus and the cause of Jesus. The cross created a stumbling block to both Jew and Gentile. The cross and Christianity create a series of paradoxes. The way up is the way down. In order to keep, we must give. In order to live, we must die. In order to reproduce, we must allow the seed to be buried. The cross takes center stage. The cross is the glory of the Messiah. The cross brings forth fruit. The cross demands our death to self. We must lose our life in order to lead. We must follow. Even the Greek philosopher Aristotle said, the wise man does not expose himself needlessly to danger since there are few things for which he cares sufficiently. But he is willing in great crises to give even his life knowing that under certain conditions it is not worthwhile to live. Jesus understood the power of the cross. A poet once wrote, Bad men excuse their faults, good men will leave them. I counted dollars while God counted crosses. I counted gains while he counted losses. I counted my worth by the things gained in store, but he sized me up by the scars that I bore. I coveted honors and sought for degrees. He wept as he counted the hours on my knees, and I never knew till one day at a grave how vain are these things that spend life to save. And there's one more stanza. I did not yet know until my loved one went above that riches is he who is rich in God's love. True life is not realized until you identify with God through Jesus Christ. We must all request as these Gentiles did to see Jesus. Then you learn that life is found in giving yourself away in order that Christ may be top priority. Can you hear him say to you, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Jesus served each of us when he died for each one of us on the cross. We must look. We must listen. So that we can see and hear what he says to us today. Shall we pray? Gracious Lord, we are thankful for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For he shows us the way. He walked the way. So that we could see. May we in these next few moments look closer. So that we might see. The power of the cross. And the hope of the resurrection. In the name of Jesus. Amen.